here, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys this morning. Real quick, though, guys, if on your way in you didn't get a donut, we have donuts for dudes today, and so in light of Father's Day, make sure to get one on the way out. Um, ladies, kids, after you think that that has happened, please help us clean out the donuts afterwards, okay? Um, so real quick, um, I think it's ironic that... that on Father's Day, Pastor Tim would ask the youth pastor to get up here and, and talk about stuff. And so what I, I, I didn't really ask him, but I thought it'd be more fun if we just played darts. You guys like the game of darts? Okay, good. Kenny's, Kenny's up here nodding really good. Um, Kenny, I need you to volunteer. Would you come hold this for me at about head level? I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think we should, we should play darts, but I don't think I want you to hold it face level. Yeah, yeah that, would be, that would be terrifying. Hey, um, how many of you guys like the game of darts? Show of hands. Okay, it's most of you guys. How many of you guys have ever played darts? Okay, so what is the point? Whenever you're, you're throwing that dart, what are you hoping to do? Bullseye. You're hoping to hit the middle of the target, right? Now, if there are any serious dart players here, you actually know that's not the most points on the board. Or you can get 50 points in the middle, but right here there's this spot that's a triple 20 and that's 60 points, so technically you don't want the bullseye, but that's what we all aim for, isn't it? We all, when we stand in front of a dart board, we're always trying to get those darts to land right in the middle, aren't we? Darts is a fun game, and I'm honestly not very good at it. I'm glad you didn't actually volunteer because I think that would be really bad for you. Um, how many of you guys have ever missed the dartboard before? <laughs> Stuck it in the wall or your friend <laughs> or it's behind the fridge by the time you're done with it? And I think most of us can identify with this, this thought of wanting to get it stuck in the bullseye. Wanting, and we have really good intentions, right? When we step in there, we think we're pretty good at this game, right? We're like, oh, this isn't, I mean, it's not that hard. This thing flies through the air. I know how to make things fly through the air. And we, we aim real carefully, and then it like goes eight feet sideways and hits something it's not supposed to hit. Well, I want to talk today about a game of darts. We're going to call it life darts, okay? Now, not like lawn darts where your life's in danger, but life darts, okay? And so I'm going to start with this question. And, and um, if I asked you how you're doing... Most people say, oh, I'm fine, right? Isn't that the normal answer? How are you today? I'm good. You know what the next, second most common answer is that I ever hear? I'm busy. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm busy. How many of you guys, if I asked that question differently, if I said, do you feel like you have a lot on your plate? The first amen of the morning, right? I've got a lot on my plate. Most of us would say, yeah, actually, to be honest, I do. I've got a lot going on in my life. Sometimes if I asked you, are you overwhelmed by everything in your life? A lot of times we go, oh, you have no idea. You don't know the struggle, the, the stress. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. And see, here's the thing. Most of us are busy. And if you're not, kids, if you're in the room and you're not busy, man, I hope you enjoy this time because you will be, right? We're all busy, but we also have this thing in us where we want to get things done right. And so if we think about all of the things that we have to do in our life as darts, and we're playing this game of life darts, this is even more appropriate. How many times do your darts fall apart in life, right? All of the things that you need to get done in life are a lot like darts, and we want to hit the bullseye, don't we? 
all the things that we're responsible for, all the things that come up, we would love it if we could do them all right and stick them right in the middle of the board. Now, when we're young, that's a little easier, right? How many of you guys remember life when you were a kid? I asked that last night and some older gentleman in the crowd was like, that's not funny, because he probably couldn't remember anymore. (laughs) Do you guys think back to a time when your life was easier? How about that? Maybe you can remember when you were six or seven and literally everything that needed done in life was done for you. See, I think back to whenever I was a young man, right out of high school, um, I had a few things in life that were really important to me. I would call them darts. These were things that needed to happen in my life. I had a car. I was one of those car guys. Um, And I don't want to be like the cool car guy. I don't want you to think that I was like the muscle car guy. I was the fast and the furious car guy with the little Honda that was too bright of a color and too loud, and now I'm like, oh, that guy. That was me. I loved my car, right? And then I grew up, but I loved my car, and that meant that every time I was in or around or near my car, I got to enjoy it, which meant things like washing my car. Man, that was a good day, the day I got to go wash my car, right? If I had to fill it up with gas, that meant I was going somewhere. I got to drive. Right? I, had, I had my car. I had to pay rent. Right? Most of us had to live somewhere. Um, I had to eat, which, by the way, I still like to eat. I don't know about you guys. Like That one's one of those things I still like to do. I had a girlfriend, and I liked spending time with my girlfriend. It meant that like, if I got to go out, then I was going to have a good time. It wasn't a burden. It was a good thing. And so the darts that I had in my life, the things that I was responsible for in my life, I, I had maybe four or five, six darts things that needed done. And it was a lot easier for me to hit the bullseye with those things because, man, it was so enjoyable. I loved being around my girlfriend. And I could spend the time to think, like, this is going to be a good date. I'm going I'm to do this, I'm going to do that to make this enjoyable. I'm really aiming at the bullseye here. Or, man, I can't wait to get in my car and to cruise North Avenue. If you guys have been here a while, that was the thing, right? Last night, my family and I went and we, we got Chick-fil-A and we just sat by the side of the road hoping we'd see some cool cars and it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. They don't, they don't do the, the laps anymore. So that was exciting for me though. And I could do it and I could enjoy it. Now fast forward a few years, my life looks nothing like that anymore. How many of you guys, your life looks nothing like it did when you were younger? right? Things have changed, right? And now suddenly I still have to wash the car, but that's not a dart I want to throw anymore. I don't enjoy that dart now, right? I have to wash the car. I have to pay rent because it's not like I'm excited that I finally get to live on my own. It's like, oh man, another bill, right? And that's not my only bill. I've got insurance and I've got all this stuff that keeps coming up. And so what happens is over time, at least in my life, instead of enjoying throwing just a few darts, now I've got this furious pace of darts going in my life, right? There's a never-ending supply of, I've got bills to pay and I need to mow the lawn, and it, but, the, but the sprinkler broke and now I've got to fix the sprinkler system. And then I finally get that caught up and my kids need to go off to soccer practice or, or band practice and I've got to move them around. And, oh, my wife and I are supposed to go on a date tonight and I'm still dirty from the lawn, right? And I, we told our friends that we were going to come over on Thursday for their anniversary, but I forgot I also have my life group. And now, which dart am I going to throw tonight? And this sense of busyness has now taken over to the point that my goal is no longer to hit the bullseye. Now I'm just excited if I can get as many darts in my life as possible to stick on the board, right? 
You guys feel that way? That your life has got so much going on in it that you're just constantly chucking darts at the board. You're just trying to get stuff done, right? You're just excited if you don't miss. You're just excited if your dart doesn't fall on the floor or stay on the table and never get thrown. We could care less if we're hitting bullseyes anymore. We're just trying to get it all out there. And part of that is simply because as time goes on, we get more and more roles, more and more responsibilities added to our life. See, when I was a young man, I had a part-time job, I had a girlfriend, and I could pay rent. That was pretty much my life. And now I've got all of these things that I'm responsible for. I've got kids. I've got my wife to take care of. I've got extended family. As my family gets older, I have to worry and think about like making sure that I'm interacting with them. And then I've got, I've got these ministries at church, but I actually have another job too. And so you start adding all this stuff up and it's like all these roles have been added to my plate. And I think you guys feel those things too. None of the other ones went away, but now I've got so much more. I think that that allows us to identify with Moses as we catch up to him in the story of Exodus. We've been in Exodus now for a while, and what we've seen is that God has delivered them from the nation of Egypt, right? Through all these miraculous plagues, and then through the sea, it was this amazing moment with God, and then the last few chapters, what we've seen is that this nation that was not a nation before is suddenly on a camping trip. Million plus people in the wilderness Never had any laws before, never had any rules before. And in all of this, what we've seen is Moses has taken on new role time after time again. He started out as an abandoned slave baby in the river, and then he was an adopted royal grandkid in the palace, right? And then he was a would-be deliverer, except the problem is he murdered a guy. And so then he's a fugitive on the run. And then he spent years in the desert or in the wilderness as a shepherd, and he became a husband, and a father, and then he met the living God at a burning bush, and, and in that moment, he became a prophet to go back to God's people and to proclaim what God would do, but in that prophet role, suddenly he was also a miracle worker, and then he became a deliverer, and then he was the leader of a nation. And time after time through this book, we see Moses gets these new roles and new responsibilities. Now, while he's out in the desert, and we don't know if this happened maybe during the, the plagues because they were so hard to be around or if it happened after they got out of, out of Egypt. But at some point, Moses says to his wife and kids, hey, I need you guys to go back home to grandpa, right? I need you guys to, I need you to, to go back home to Midian, go back to Jethro, my father-in-law, your, your father. And so his, his family's kind of missing in this moment of chaos when the nation is becoming what they're going to be. And at the beginning of chapter 18, I think, and it doesn't say this in a negative way, but I imagine it's Father's Day. I imagine the father-in-law looks around at some point and goes, why am I taking care of his family? <laughs> and so Jethro shows back up with Moses' wife and kids. It doesn't say that Moses sent for him. Jethro shows up with Moses' wife and kids. And he brings them back. And I can just imagine the father-in-law moment. He's like, do you remember... All of this that you signed up for, Moses, like, I did this once. I'm done with this. How many grandparents in the room are like, I, I love it when my grandkids come over, but there's that moment when I'm like, please have them back, right? And so Jethro brings them back, and while he's there during his visit, we see this interaction. We're going to start in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 18. 
The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. New role. See, Moses had never been the judge before. He'd been the leader, he'd been the deliverer, he'd been the miracle worker, the prophet. Now suddenly he's a judge, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And I don't, okay, think about this for a moment. Have you ever been to the DMV? Yeah, you guys love the DMV, right? That line, right? And you get the ticket, and the ticket says 274, and you look up, and the thing says four. Oh, I'm going to be here all day. Are you excited after you wait in that line and you finally get to talk to the clerk? I'm not. I'm on the edge of hurting somebody, right? I'm, I'm like, just stamp the paperwork. You better, I better have everything right because I'm not sitting in that line again, right? Now imagine this camping trip. In fact, think about it like this. Think about if the governor of our state had to take the entire population of our state on a year-long camping trip. Think about the logistical nightmare of millions of people in the wilderness. Imagine the, the, the problem that Israel was having in this moment. They were a slave nation. They didn't have any rules. They didn't know how to govern themselves. And now, suddenly, they're out in the wilderness, and what do you do when a fight breaks out down by the river? What do you do when your neighbor steals your shovel? What do you do whenever your mom's not being taken care of as well as the next guy's mom and somebody steal, stole my manna last night? What do you do? Everybody went to the only place that they knew that they could go, to Moses. And so you imagine Moses is this ancient Israel DMV. He stands in the middle of camp and it says from morning till evening. Can you imagine? He wakes up in the morning takes a deep breath and he goes and he sits down in the middle of camp and everybody comes to him with their problems. And his job all day long is to sort it all out. How fun would that job be? Are you guys signing up for that work? Right? Now, imagine the line because he's the only one. And how excited they are when they finally get to Moses at 7.30 at night. And the type of people that he has to deal with all the time. Okay, so in that, you could see why Jethro shows up and he goes, what are you doing this for? I, I imagine he looks back at his daughter and his grandkids and he goes, this isn't going to work, right? Like, I need you to take care of your family, my family. What are you doing? All right, let's look at Moses' answer. Verse 15, Moses answered him, because the people come to me and they seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And at this point, it, it just makes sense, right? I'm the one that talks to God. I'm probably the only one that really knows him at this point. I've met God and, and, and I know what he wants and, and nobody else does. And so they come to me with problems. It just makes sense. I know what he wants. I know what they need. I stand in the middle and I get stuff done. And I imagine the frantic pace of Moses' life at this moment and all the darts that he's throwing at the dartboard, right? Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that that shovel was his. You should probably buy him a new shovel. Dart thrown. Okay, now, yeah, I don't think you guys should be in a fight right now. It doesn't seem like a very big deal. Why don't you take you out to lunch? Okay, dart thrown, right? 
And you can imagine the pace at which he's just trying to get stuff done. Now imagine what this would look like in your life, this moment with Jethro. Let's say, I don't know, you're, it's, the, it's the middle of the afternoon and you're doing your kid's laundry, okay? Your friend stops by and she walks in and she goes, why are you doing your kid's laundry? And you go, well, I mean, they, they handed it to me and it was dirty. I know how to run the washing machine. It just makes sense. I'm just trying to get stuff Done. And in the speed at which we live our life, sometimes a lot of things end up on our plate and we're just like, oh, another dart. Got to throw it because it's got to get done. Seems like the right thing to do in this moment for Moses too, doesn't it? If you think about it, is this a bad thing? Is he hurting people? Seems like a good thing, right? Because he is the one who God gave the authority in, in the camp. He is the one who knows what God wants. And I think that there's a lot of things in our life we'd say, yeah, I'm busy, but it's a good thing that I'm doing. How many of you guys have ever justified your busyness because of what you're busy doing? Right? It's like, oh, it's not, it's not a problem. It's a, I'm doing good things. I'm so busy at this charitable thing, or I'm so busy at work. Did you know, like, we're going to get so far ahead because I'm, I'm working, or I'm getting us caught up. Isn't that a good thing? And a lot of this, it seems like it's good for us. But look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And I love this. Jethro's been in the camp for how long? One day right? These people live together. They're experiencing this together. There's all these people around Moses and Jethro shows up for one day and he goes, hey, this is a problem. Like, I don't know if you see it or not. And how often do we see people that are about to burn out, but we also see that they don't have to? Sometimes it takes somebody from the outside looking in, doesn't it? And I imagine Jethro in this moment looking back at his family, looking over at Moses and going, I don't think you have to do it like this. Like, this isn't good. It took an outsider that Moses trusted to speak into this moment. But what I love is Exodus is an example or, or it has a theme that courses through the whole thing. And it's all about God's deliverance, right? God delivered the nation of Israel after first delivering Moses from the river, Right? He delivers the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And then he delivers them from starvation and from thirst in the desert. And at this point, we're used to seeing God deliver. Jethro is God's deliverance for Moses, but not from Egypt, not from starvation, but from himself. This was a godsend in Moses' life. And what he says here is, you can't do it all. You have a limit. There's only so much Moses. And I think that if he looked at us, he'd say, there's only so much John, right? There's only so much Scott. You have a limit. And that's true in our life, right? I think that we would look at our life and we'd go, with all of the things that I deal with just day to day, the things that make my life unique, I hit my limit sometimes. And then in your work responsibilities, there's only so much you have to go around. In your relationships, 
How often are we overextended in our relationships because we commit to so many people? It makes us feel better to manage all of these surface-level relationships, but the reality is that I have a limit on how much time I can spend with people. I can't do it all. And Jethro says, Moses, what you're doing is not good because you can't do it all. Now, I love this. How... Jethro keeps going, and we're going to look at the rest of what Jethro says, which is good, because do you know people in your life that are really good at pointing out problems? And then they stop. People that are really good at saying, hey, what you're doing is not good. See ya. Jethro doesn't do that, and I'm so thankful for Jethro in Moses' life because he says, what you're doing is not good. And then in verse 19, he says, now listen to me. And I will give you some advice. He's got, a, he's got a solution. And I love that because it really doesn't help anybody if you're good at pointing out problems, if you're not good at pointing out solutions. Jethro says, I've got some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. So he starts with, you can't do it all. But the next thing he says is, you shouldn't do it all. Even if you could, you shouldn't do it all. There are things that only you can do, Moses. And I imagine with all of these darts sitting in front of Moses, all these things that need done, that he's constantly throwing at the dartboard, I imagine Jethro just sort of sorting through those for a moment, and he finds one, and he goes... Moses, only you can be God's representative before the people right now. You're the only one that knows God, that can go to God right now for the people. This dart is more important than some of those other darts. All right, and he looks at him, he finds another dart, and he says, you're the only one right now that knows him well enough to teach the people what he would want. Do you realize that some of your darts, Moses, are more important than the other ones? There are some things that only you can do, and you shouldn't try to do it all. And I think that's true in our lives too, right? There are some things that only you can do. Only you can make your husband feel safe when he comes home from work, that this is a safe place to unwind. Only you can get that one thing done at work. You're the only person that knows how to do that thing and do it well. Only you can be a parent to your kids. There are some things that out of all the darts that you throw, some things are only you darts, right? And here's the problem. I think that we understand this target kind of wrong. The dartboard of our, our life, our life darts, sometimes I think we, we think about it wrong. We think, because I have so many darts, the purpose of my game, the purpose of what I'm doing is to try to get them all stuck in the board. I'm going to try to get as many things in my life done as possible. And here's the problem. When we're doing everything poorly, we're not doing anything well. Isn't that true? That you can spend all day, every day, trying to keep up and get everything done, but nothing hits the bullseye. Nothing is done well sometimes because of simply the magnitude of what we have to throw, what we have to do. And so there are some darts that only you need to be throwing. There are some things that only 
you can do. And so Jethro in this moment would say, yeah, you can't do it all, but even if you're Superman, you shouldn't. There are some things you need to focus on. Let's keep going. Verse 21, he keeps talking to to Moses and he says, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. And see, he says, you can't do it all. You shouldn't do it all. But there's somebody else who needs the opportunity to do it. This is where leadership comes in. Which means for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about leadership. And I don't want you guys to check out because you think... Pastor, I'm not in a position of leadership. Nobody's given me any authority over anything, right? If that's you, if that's how you feel when somebody brings up this idea of leadership and you just want to kind of like check out, like, okay, um, the rest of the message is not for me. I have two things that I would say to that. The first is, it's possible that you already are a leader and you don't know it. That you've got people in your life that look to you, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers people that you sit next to at church that you wouldn't even recognize are, are looking at you, and yet those, those people see in you an example. That's possible, and you just don't see it. The other thing is that it's possible that you're simply not a leader yet. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. He was 80 when he went back and delivered the nation of Israel. Do you think in his 37th year he was like, it's about time for me to brush up on my leadership skills? Right? You think at that moment, he's like, where's that John Maxwell book I had once? Right? Like, I don't think that he thought this was coming. Right? He thought, oh, I, I, that part of my life is over. I've never been in a position of leadership. And look what God did in Moses' life. And the reality is that you may be a leader yet. And so pay attention. Okay? We're going to talk about this idea that somebody else needs to do things. Here's part of the problem. Here's one of the reasons that we want to check out sometimes whenever somebody talks about this, because we think it has to do with authority. What if I told you that true leadership isn't about leveraging authority to get more done? It's about empowering more people. And you can empower people sideways. You can empower your brother. You can empower your coworker. You can empower your boss if you do it right. If leadership's not about authority, if it's about empowering more people, suddenly it's a much bigger funnel that we all find ourselves in, right? All of us fall into that category. And I love this because Jethro had to change Moses' mind, but not about the stuff that needed done. Nowhere in here does he go, this is dumb. Why is there a judge? Let him figure it out. The stuff needed done, what he needed to change Moses' mind about was how he saw people, right? When Moses looked out at this crowd of people every morning, when he got there and clocked in, what Moses saw was a group of people that needed Moses. What Moses saw was, I need to do something for them, and they're in the way of me getting this done, and I think in our life, all of the people that get thrown into this dark game of our life feel that way to us sometimes too. Either they could help me do something, get it done, or they're in my way of getting it done. Or I need to do something for them. And Jethro looks into this situation and he goes, Moses, I don't think you see these people right. 
And if you could pause this, if one of those cool movie moments when it's like just two characters are the only ones awake, right? If you could pause the scene, Jethro would tap Moses on the shoulder and he'd go, hey, do you see over there in the back row? Yeah, that guy, that's a leader. He's a leader. He's just waiting for you to call leadership out of him. He's waiting for you to give him something important to do. Do you see this lady over here leaning against the wall? Do you realize what she could do for the kingdom of God if you would just call that out of her, if you would see it? And what he wanted Moses to do was to stop seeing people as the need and start seeing people as the leaders that God saw them as. See, I think we've been thinking about this wrong. I said just a minute ago that we we feel like the game is all about throwing the darts, getting as much done as possible. What if instead of our goal being to see how many darts we could stick, what if our goal was to see how many darts we could hand off? What if our goal with the people around us was to see how many games of darts that we could start? If we could look through all of the things in our life and go, you know, I can't do it all and, and, I, and I probably shouldn't. I've got some things, I, some darts I need to throw. Out of what's left, could I take this and could I look at somebody and say, I think you could do this. I think you could be a judge of a thousand right? Or a 10 or a 50 in this situation. There were people with different qualities and it was Moses' job to kind of identify those people. But in the end, his ultimate job was to hand things off and to empower other people in the camp. And so I wonder if Jethro were to look at my life, what would he, if he were to walk up one day, would he look at my life and go, what you're doing is not good. Ha. How you're doing this is, is not good. How would I know? If I were going to think about my life, because I don't have Jethro. We can't just like teleport him back from heaven, right? <laughs> so how do I know? I've got a question that I think helps us understand where we're at in all of this. And it's this question. I hope it gets up on the screen. It says, is my leadership unintentionally hurting someone? Now remember, leadership isn't necessarily authority, Is my leadership unintentionally hurting someone? Now, to get there, I'm going to use this whiteboard for a few minutes, and so I hope you guys can all see it. Um, Everything that ever gets done, every task in, in your personal life or at work or in a ministry setting, if you're in a group, everything that ever gets done essentially goes through the same process. Now, if you manage a business, this is going to seem awfully simple. Okay? But for the rest of us, this is at least a 30,000-foot view of how things get done. The darts that we're throwing are the tasks. Okay? Something has to get done. That's the whole point of this conversation. We've got a lot that needs done. Now, before a task can be done, somebody has to make a decision, right? And so there's decision-making in an organization, usually a boss or somebody that's in charge of making decisions, and then tasks are the things that that get done. And then above decision-making, we have vision. Now, if we're in just a secular environment, if this is just target, right, you've got a vision statement, you have a direction that the company is going. If this is your family, you have an idea of what you want for your family, If you want to include God in this, this is where revelation fits too. Where a church would say, part of our vision is what God is calling us to. In your family, what is God calling you to? That's up at this point up here. So you have vision, decisions, they result in tasks, but there's one more. And really it ought to be details, but I like the word how. How the tasks get done. 
matters too, right? Here at the church, if I were to say, hey, after, after Wednesday night youth group, the bathroom, the boys' bathroom is always disgusting. We need a task. We need somebody to clean that bathroom, right? Now, that technically comes with some details. I don't just want you to clean it with the same rag you used last week, right? I want you to use this product. I want you to use, do it this way. We have a how. And the same thing's true in our life, right? Especially parents. You guys know that like, you can say, hey, kids, empty the dishwasher, it kind of matters where they put the dishes, right? Go clean the bathroom. It kind of matters the process, right? The how is important. Now, what does this have to do with, with leadership? In all of these things, if you have authority, then basically all of these things are your responsibility. If you have any relationship with anybody and you have authority, all of these things are, is falling on you. And when you include other people, where do we normally have them involved? Here, right? Would, would you mind doing this for me, right? And so we put people right here and we give them tasks. And we sometimes feel like that's leadership because now I've included other people. And the reality is what we've done is we've said, I have all these darts to throw at my dartboard. Would you throw some darts at my dartboard with me? That's not leadership. That's authority. Leadership makes more leaders, Leadership empowers more people. And so what true leadership does is it takes this and it sets it off and we say, this is no longer part of my sphere. Now I'm gonna give this to you. Now you can do this at any one of these levels. We could give people a task. We could give people decision-making abilities, right? There's a lot of freedom that comes with handing as many of those things off as far up the list as you can handle, giving you the very few tasks, the very few darts that you should be throwing, and if you're in charge of some vision, if you're responsible to make sure that the ship sails, you can focus on those things. The more you can get rid of, the, the better it is for you. Here's the problem. Here's where this is dangerous territory. In order to make ourselves feel good, a lot of times we will say that we are giving something away to somebody. But here's the reality. When you give something away, you need to be able to give away everything underneath it, Right? When I give you a task, I'm also giving you responsibility for the how. Now, I might train you, right? If it's, a, if it's a detailed thing, I might teach you how to do it. But at some point, I have to say, do you understand the vision? Do you understand where we're going? Okay, can you get this thing done? It's yours. But what we do a lot of times to make ourselves feel better is we will give something away to our kids, to our coworkers, to the people that work with us or for us, and yet, instead of giving them the how, we maintain control of how something gets done, right? I would love for you to make some decisions for me at work. I've got so many things, I can't get to it all. Would you manage this division over here, but run it all by me? Just, just I mean, you make, all the, you make the call, just bring it into my office before we hit go. Or do you find people around you who should know how to do things coming to you and asking how you want it done? There's a red flag there that there's a possibility that you feel like you've given something away and the reality is that you're holding on to something underneath that and that's not leadership. That's authority. And we're still playing a game of darts that includes only your dartboard at that point. So when we ask this question, is my leadership unintentionally hurting somebody? There's a list of different people it could be hurting, right? I could be hurting myself. If I try to do all of this all the time, I'm gonna burn out. Am I unintentionally hurting myself because I just can't see it? 
And I need somebody like Jethro to go, this is dumb. Am I unintentionally hurting the people that I think I've involved in the process? Because here's the thing, managers, parents, friends, if you have asked other people to do something and then taken out from underneath them the things that make it theirs, you might not see it, but they see that. And good people won't stay in that position for very long, right? And so if we're gonna be good leaders, we can't be unintentionally hurting people that way. Now, what about the people I actually lead? Think about Moses in this moment. He had, I don't know, 500 people in the middle of camp every day, frustrated, but he had the rest of the millions of people out there who he was leading, but he was never getting to the vision stuff. He was never doing the few tasks that only he could do. Was his leadership decision in being that judge every day hurting everybody else? Yeah, it was. And then here's the last one. Is my leadership hurting my family? Now this could be multi, this could be an onion thing with lots of layers, right? Because somewhere in here, this could be your family. That's not what I mean. What I mean is if all of your leadership, all of your energy is going out and you have to send your family away like Moses did, are you hurting your family? Are you hurting your family if you get home from work and, and all day long you realize you've got all these darts, right? I've got all these darts and, and I've got these reports that need done. I've got these bills that need paid at home. Um, my wife needs taken out on a date and, and my kids need um, some attention from their dad. And so, um, well, I'm, I'm not at home right now. And so we'll just save that one for later. And, and then I get home with every intention of picking up that dart. The problem is I still have all these other darts. There's all these emails and people were texting me and my mind is still focused on throwing all of these darts and then it's bedtime and then I wake up and I'm back at the city square with lots of people standing around me and I'm the judge again. And the reality is that this dart never got thrown. And sometimes our leadership in one area can be hurting our family in another. This is one of those darts that only you can throw that only I could throw for my family. And trust me, it's a terrifying thought that only I can take my wife out to sushi and love on her and let her know how important she is, right? That, that she's cherished and loved. Only I should be throwing that dart. But there's a point when if this dart, if I never throw this dart, somebody somewhere could pick this dart up and throw it. That's scary, right? There are some darts that are your responsibility. And so are you hurting somebody by never throwing it or by never aiming at the bullseye? All right, so questions for you. Let's, let's just do a little heart check real quick before we wrap this up. Why haven't you, why haven't I let go of some of my responsibilities? Why do we hold so tightly to things? Why, and there are people in this room, I know that there are, and if you don't think it's you, dig a little deeper for a minute in all of your relationships. Why is it that you feel like you need to hold on to things that you probably could give away? Is it fear that I won't be important? Like if I, if I give this thing away, this task, this job, this decision-making ability, this role, if I hand that off and someone else gets important because of that, do I get less important? Is there only so much importance to go around? And it's like, I would love to have all of it. And so to give some away means I go down. Can you cheer someone on that can do what you do better than you do it? 
What if that person was somebody who started out underneath you? It's a hard question, isn't it? Can you cheer somebody else on that can do what you can do? And you're looking at it going, oh man, I would really like to be the one getting that praise. I'd really like to, I'd like to feel important. They're so important. I could do that. What about this? Is it a fear that it won't get done the way that I want? Heart check for some of us, right? Parents, <laughs> bosses. This is why a lot of times we pull the how back out from underneath people. Because it reflects on me, right? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the boss here at this job and like how it gets done. Our customers, they're going to come to me if it's not done right. And, and at my house, when my friends come over, if the toilet's not clean, they don't think, well, your teenage boys must be horrible at this. They think I didn't clean it, right? All of these things reflect on me. And not only that, I'm going to have to fix it, right? If you do it wrong, it just is a waste of my time. I've got to fix it. And there's a short-term win there if I just do it. But there's a long-term loss, right? Imagine... Imagine, uh, and I keep using the toilet thing with teenagers because I've got three teenage boys. So just so you guys know, imagine, imagine for 18 times in a row, let's say it's once a week, for 18 weeks in a row, you grab your teenage boy, you bring him into the bathroom and you say, I need you to clean the toilet, okay? And then you kind of look over his shoulder, maybe you come back in after he's done and he didn't do it right again and again and again, and that is so frustrating because I want it done the way that I want it done. And so at some point, either because we're afraid of that or because that's so frustrating, we just bail and say, forget it. Just go clean your room. I'll do the bathroom. But what if on the 19th time, it was done right? And on the 28th time, you were at work and you said, hey, we have company tonight. I need you to clean the bathroom. And it just gets done right, right? Right? This fear that it won't get done the way that I want is a big one. And here's a quote that I heard that I really like. If you're the only one, with quotes around, if you're the only one who can do it, then over time you will be the only one who ever does it. Right? How many of us have had something that we would like to help with and we keep getting corrected, we keep getting told we're wrong, the person keeps getting frustrated with us, they pull the how out from under us and at some point we go, you do it then. Right? Maybe it's pride. Maybe as long as I'm the only one doing it, then I'm just simply better, right? And you realize if we, if we could go back and read what Moses said to Jethro, the first answer, when he said, well, the people come to me and, and they need answers and I, like, I connect them with God. And you, know, you could read that and use the exact same words and it would say, the people come to me. And when they need to know what God says, I tell them what God says. Sometimes we have this thing in us that says, as long as I'm the one who does the stuff, man, I'm better than you. We would never say that, but we feel it, right? Or what about this one, this fear that I won't be needed? It kind of feels like the one where I feel like I'm not important, but it's a little different. I think a lot of times we just hold on to something. We don't even like doing it, but at least it makes us feel necessary, right? What if, what if I got rid, what if I handed off every dart? What if I got rid of everything around here and then suddenly it could all get done without me and I'm just not needed? That is a lie from the pit of hell. The reality is that there is not an organization or a church or a friend group or a ministry that would not love to have leader makers around. 
that if you have done a good job at giving away things and empowering people and calling people to do something, you have given yourself more value than you can imagine. And I imagine God looking down and going, that, I can use this in the kingdom right here. Can you imagine what God would do with somebody who's just so good at giving stuff away that they run out of stuff to do? You think they're actually going to run out of things to do? No. But it's a fear, and it keeps us holding on to all of our darts. Right? What's it like to be on the other side of my leadership? That's a hard question sometimes. Ask your kids, ask your coworkers, ask the people that work for you. Sometime in a private moment, you shut the door, you say, nobody's going to get in trouble. What's it like around me? Is my leadership unintentionally hurting somebody? Here's some, here's some clues, right? Would you be worried if the people that work for you, under you, around you, if they went out to a bar and had a beer without you, would you be worried about what they might say about you? Does that make you nervous? Right? Does the energy change when you enter the room? Everybody's laughing and having a good time and then in walks you and everything deflates. Does that make you nervous? When was the last time that somebody who you lead changed your mind? When was the last time somebody you lead challenged your ideas in front of everybody? These should be red flags, right? I think a lot of times as leaders, we think everything's okay because nobody's telling us. And the reality is, people will just leave. People just go away. They fade out of your life. So here, I want to leave you with this main point up on the screen. True leadership creates more leaders. The way you see people will determine how good you are at this. Do you see leaders in waiting when you look around? When you see that one kid of yours who just can't get anything right, the one kid that just is always frustrating you. Do you look at them and you go, one day you're going to be a leader. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep calling that out of you. Or do you see somebody that needs something from you? Or somebody that's in the way of you getting something done? At work, do you have these people that you're like competing with all of the time? Are you competing or are you seeing somebody that you could empower? The way you see people determines how well this works. True leadership creates more leaders. And think about this. Jesus probably could have gotten everything done that he ever wanted to do all by himself. If anybody was the capable dart thrower, I imagine it would have been this supernatural, almost boring to watch dart game. He'd have just been like bullseye, 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 over and over with all the things that he wanted to do. And at some point you're like, we get it. You can walk on water and you can throw darts, right? But that's not how Jesus operated, was it? There were blind people that needed to see. There were people that needed healed. There were people that needed to hear the gospel truth of the coming kingdom. And what did he do? He picked a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors that were not qualified. They were too old. They probably had filthy mouths. They probably had problems at home. And in that, he said, I'm going to pour leadership into you, and you're going to become leaders. I'm going to give you things. And at some point, he sends them out two by two, and he says, I want you to go practice. And then at the Great Commission, toward the end of his life, he says, I'm going to send you out to the nations. And he empowered them. I'm so thankful he did. I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for one of the disciples that spread the news to somebody that spread it to me. 
And if the greatest leader in history made a point of making more leaders, what could you do? Are there people in your life that you could empower? Are there people in your life that you could say, look, I've got so many darts. I don't even want to throw these darts anymore, but I think you would be great at this. So I'm going to leave you with just two questions to ponder in your own heart, okay? What part of my responsibility can I give away? Look at your life. Look at the frantic pace. Look at all the things that you do. Maybe it's not frantic. The thing is still true when we get to that point where he says other people need to do it. What could you give away? And who can I empower to lead with me? Do you already have people in your life that you could just say, look, I haven't been doing a good job with you, son. I haven't been doing a good job with you, friend, coworker. But man, I think God could really do amazing things in your life. I want to help you get there. Here's something to do. And if you don't have somebody, could you find somebody? Because leadership isn't about having a position of authority. You don't need to wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and go, I need you to run this thing. And then you go, finally, I've been waiting on empowering people. Could you find people around you to encourage, to build up, to call that truth out of like Jesus did with his guys and like Moses ultimately had to do here? You know what? Moses actually did the thing. And I'm so glad he did because if he hadn't, where would he be? He'd still be, well, not now. (laughs) He would have spent his life sitting in the middle of camp arguing about or helping people deal with their arguments. And he would have never been able to lead them through the wilderness. He would have never been able to lead them to the promised land. He would have never gotten them to the mountain of God where they they met the one true God and began an intimate relationship with him as a people. And so in your life, stop for a moment and say, what happens if I do nothing? What could I do if I hand this away? What could I do if I empower more people? And what could they do? Let's pray real quick together and then I'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this story of Jethro's advice. It's like he came and he went out of this story and Moses feels like the hero in the Exodus and yet we find a hero in Jethro. Thank you for that advice and I pray that it would make a difference in our life too, that we would look around and see people differently. Who could we call into something? And what should we be taking off of our plate? so that we can do what only we do, but be aiming at the bullseye instead of just the dartboard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.